Welcome to episode 87 of the Canadian Pepper Podcast, recorded October 4th, 2020. My name is Ian, and we staged a short-term coup tonight. I look in my eyes. I am the host now. <laughs> I live on Vancouver Island. <laughs> I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sports shooter, and my pharmacist is in handyman. As long as you meet the deadline, Eric will be returned safely. I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd. All right. Want to help support the show and keep Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? Buy Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt at rapidsurvival.com. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you are enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook. Submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good, bad, indifferent, even just a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right. We have some highly employable content for you this episode. Uh, Yeah. Best I could do. Uh, we're going to start Eric, off with we some. <laughs> That's right, we miss you already. We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news. Next, we'll let you know what we did for our preparedness since our last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic, which is uh, working towards the apocalypse. So, some news. <laughs> uh, two articles I found today. Uh, the first, um, it's really hard to not kind of poke fun at CNN. Um, just watching the uh, the election the election sideshow is, is what we're calling it in my house now. Um, Trump has now tested positive for COVID. He has no more than minor symptoms, but he's still been hospitalized. And um, the number of people that he's come into contact with is absolutely insane, um, even just within a Secret Service detail. So uh, it's kind of entertaining to to watch the uh, watch the left's kind of heads explode as they. <laughs> As as he as he goes about his business, still being a uh, still being the president and still doing his job, despite having the sniffles. Um, and the worst and part it, is he'll probably get some sympathy votes out of it too. <laughs> it's entirely plausible. Um, <laughs> but I think that like the big takeaway for the big takeaway for me from this for from a preparedness note is that no matter how carefully people are screened, we can't stop a virus from spreading. So take take the precautions for yourself. Wash your hands. Stay home if you feel sick. All that good stuff. Mostly wash your hands a lot. Clean the high contact surfaces. All those things that we should be doing anyways, and we shouldn't be talking about how to do this in 2020. But we are. And accept that the virus, accept that any virus, whether it's a coronavirus, whether it's an influenza virus, whether it's a streptococcus virus, any of them are going to spread if you come in contact, if they, if they're, if they're in contact. And that's just how life goes. Actually, it's kind of, well, it's kind of funny. Like this is probably one of the most medically supervised people on the planet, right? Yep. Like, because between continuity of government issues, you know, handle the nuclear button, all that stuff, it's in their best interest to keep him working and they couldn't stop him from getting it. So like, really? <laughs> Exactly, and people are going to get sick. Just deal with it. You know, like people, yeah, you're you're going you're going to get sick. Most people are not going to be any other anything other than mildly inconvenienced by this, and that is just the the life that we now live. Um, yeah. The other article that I posted in here came from across the pond. Um, everybody, get out your scorecards uh, for level ten of Jumanji. We now have zombie witches surrounding a Germanic lord who was discovered in some kind of cauldron. <laughs> So, zombie witch skeletons are, are the are the next are the next thing. Uh, it's about fifteen hundred years old. Um, I don't think there's any like 
any, any real news to this other than the fact that it happened to come at a time when we're waiting for the aliens to show up amidst all the other things that have gone wrong this year. And I think possibly unearthing ancient bones is not a good thing. Well, especially if they like reanimate or something at this point, because you know, like an ancient curse or something. I don't know what the deal is, but that's yeah. it does seem awfully sketchy. I got to admit, like having that, you know, kind of like stumbling apro- across this at this point. Yeah, it just, it just, you know, it just the timing seems off. You know, it it just seems off. So those those are the two news articles I I put up for the week. Right on. Uh, for myself, actually, I put up a YouTube video uh, with uh, in the YouTube video in the show notes on that. There's some links to the actual company, and there's actually some testing results and everything else. Uh, the YouTube video actually was talking about an EMP shield product to shield your car or your house or a bunch of stuff from actual EMP. Um, I don't know if it's snake oil or if it's actually a real thing. Uh, actually, so for homework assignment, could somebody else watch this, please, and pick it apart because it just seems too good to be true. So anyway, I'm just throwing the link in there for the show notes. Uh, people can take a peek. Maybe we'll talk about that uh, Talk about that on a future episode. Yeah. Uh, the next one I had a link to not only the government of Canada buy and sell, but also from uh, Mercs.com. Uh, the government needs 36,000 tear gas units for Saskatchewan. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, like, partially- that's like one per cow, isn't it? That's <laughs> pretty, pretty much one per cow. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple explanations. One person said, well, listen, like the, the main government uh, ammunition storage or ordnance storage for, for the Canadian forces is in just south of Saskatoon in a place called Dundurn, um, which would make sense. So if they're ordering it for Saskatchewan, maybe it's going straight to there. Uh, by the same token, though, it was specifically said for riot suppression. And I was like, are they planning some like angry cows in Saskatchewan? Or like, what's the deal? <laughs> like, like, why Saskatchewan? So, I mean, uh, again... So- a little bit, a little bit of background for for listeners who may not be familiar. Um, one, Merx.com, M-E-R-X, is a uh, is a government procurement website. So um, that's where they put every like, every level of government across the country puts all of their tenders there. And so with an account, you can then uh, bid on these bid on these on these jobs. Uh, it's it's supposed to build transparency. Uh, for our American friends who don't know, Saskatchewan is square and flat. It's it's kind of like Iowa. Like there there is nothing there except wheat fields and wheat fields. Um, well, it is it is it is famously a place where you can watch your dog run away for a week. Well, there is no, not I a think, lot of people. I yeah. think it's the only province in the in the country that's actually steadily shrinking in population. Like it it. Yeah. it it's not always growing. We'll put it that no. way. And, and there there are like two, there are two major cities now. I happen to have this the the um um the buy and sell notice open. And yeah. yes, it is it is being delivered to the Canadian Forces Ammunition Depot in. Dundurn, Dundurn, before the end, before the end of March. So it doesn't sound like they're planning for like riots tomorrow. Um, But I would, so I would imagine that's just strategic reserves. Um, But you're right. It is interesting that it's, um, that it's kind of coming, coming up now. Um, (laughs) And I would, I would be willing to bet, you know, take, you know, putting my tinfoil hat aside for a few moments that we've come up to the end of a life cycle of the last batch from uh, when, how long ago was the, uh, was the G20 in Toronto and they used all the, uh, they had all the riot, they had all the rioting happen there. Um, That was about 10 years ago. Yeah. no, No doubt they expire, right? So I would imagine we're just coming up on the end of the life cycle, but again, just like finding the zombie witches, the zombie witch skeletons, the timing is really suspect. Uh, yeah, so. and so I had a listener forward this one to me. I was like, well, that's interesting. I just don't recall that being a common thing. But yeah, like you said, it might just be an expiry date thing. So yeah, and I, 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 would be, I would be willing to bet that's the case, and I certainly hope that's the case. Um, however, if you live in Regina or, Sask- or, or Saskatoon, um, you know, maybe invest in some N95 masks if you can find them for a little bit. 
some good some yeah. good face shield. Go back to our go back to our surviving surviving civil unrest episode and and uh, maybe brush up. Right on. So Eric had a couple of articles in here. I think we'll skip them this week. He can uh, talk about them next week when he decides to like he's actually like got enough motivation to come on the show or something. Yeah, I mean he's he's really been slacking lately. Eh? I'll tell you. Anyway, uh, what have we done lately for preps? Um, so I guess we'll start with uh, myself. So I guess I start off with uh, more firebreak clearing. I'm down to that last little section, but uh, it's actually interesting. It's it's heavily, it's like, you know, a wet jungle around here, really dense bush. And I was uh, working through some of it and I actually made a happy discovery. I found three crab apple trees. So now I had to kind of like gingerly, you know, uh, cut around those. And uh, basically I'm, I asked around on the, one of the one of the groups on Facebook about what kind of crab apple tree it was. Nobody had any definitive answers, but it looks like basically if I just prune it back and pinch off some flowers next spring, I should get some bigger crab apples. Ooh. So at the very least, it'd be animal feed, or maybe love with lots of sugar, it'd be some like jam or something. I don't know, but it's it's food. So it's better than better than lack of food. Yeah. Um, so the wife went out and picked some apples today, actually, and brought them back. We uh, we took the apples between the alpacas and ourselves and went over to visit the hog that we were going to have uh, processed for us. So we went to feed the hog and check on that, and that was good. A couple uh, CGN deals, of course. Um, <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. Uh, so a bit of bad news, uh, a bit of an outbreak of coccidiosis in the uh, the chicken flock, which is a devastating disease usually only happens in chicks but we had a, a couple older birds come down with it and um basically it's highly contagious and everything else so we had to like kind of do some you know kind of full-on quarantine force people to stay inside you know give them some medication force the medication upon them and everything else you can imagine the, the parallels with today and um yeah, so it's a bit of a problem right now. We lost three birds in the space of two days. Oh, that's uh, unfortunate. Yeah, so that's that's not good. Actually, it's but, it's, but it is it is curable. Yeah, it is. It's just an antibiotic that, lo and behold, because of the U.S. border closure, the actual cure uh, that's available in drug format is not available. So then we're looking at, uh, at what nine, nine miller two two three cures or yeah well it's going to be triple S or it's going to have to be uh, in this case we're just trying like some polyvite some general you know like just kind of immune boosters and everything else to see how it works you know what can we do right it's uh, luckily only one of the the, the coops that we have so we're just going to keep it isolated to that one and hope for the best well best best of luck for that or best wishes for that that's uh, that doesn't sound like a pleasant thing so no. good reason good reason to not put all your eggs in one basket as they say yeah sorry all your chickens in one coop and of course it's the one time we're worried about food uh secure that being a coach we have a food producer problem but anyway uh yep. so then other than that i finished uh clearing up the driveway uh, i had some uh again wet jungle uh bushes grow really fast and kind of covering up the driveway again so i had to kind of run down the driveway with the loppers and clear that off to keep the bushes away from the power lines for the uh when when and if we get that one day of wet snow ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and, and uh <laughs> yeah i know so uh but still when it does happen it actually is an issue with the power lines so I had to take well, care of yeah, that when it happens it's an issue with the power lines here too it happens for six months yeah. over here <laughs> yeah so uh that's about it uh pretty much just a, a you know actually that uh the thing with the chicken coops has taken up a bit of their time you know well yeah that seems like a pretty pretty big deal yeah deep clean and anti antiseptic wipes and everything else all over the place so washing hands and cleaning high contact surfaces and isolating if you feel sick and all well, the, the worst things. yeah the worst part is i think it actually came in from a visitor to the farm and that was the worst part is like it actually was like you know full-on just like the covid thing it's just like yeah it came in kind of latched onto something caused some devastation and yeah it's gonna hopefully go away so well, hopefully it is, and uh, sounds like we'll be talking about more stuff later. 
Sorry, sounds like we'll be talking about uh, food biosecurity in an upcoming episode. <laughs> sounds like a good talk, actually. <laughs> All right, what uh, yourself? For me, um, in the midst of renovations, uh, it's going to be an ongoing project probably until uh, middle of November. Um, but I got uh, did some electrical work today. Uh, finished up an NFPA cert- certificate this week, so I, I have... Um, I now have a, a, a rescue certificate, which is kind of, an, it was it was a really excellent course, really interesting. Um, I think the big one for me was kind of understanding how pulleys and ropes can create a mechanical advantage and actually being able to go out and build systems like that. Um, it, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, it, was, it was a great course. Um, I'm sore in places that I didn't think could be sore and bruised in places that I definitely shouldn't be bruised, but um, that's what happens when you're ever so slightly too tall for the harness. So that was fun. It was great. And, uh, uh, you know, my, a huge shout out to the, uh, uh, to the work done by the, the hosting agencies. If you're listening, you know who you are. Um, they kept everybody safe and we were all well isolated and the food was fantastic. It, it was surprisingly good for, um, for being in a fairly remote area. And that was uh, that was about it. Cool. Um, all right, main topic time. Main topic time. Yeah. So, spoiler alert: uh, becoming a JTF two operator is not the best job for preparedness. For for a number of reasons. I mean, one, you're away from your home a lot. Yeah. Two, every when 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 all you have is a hammer, everything becomes a nail. That's pretty much it. I think the dog just knocked over my lighting. That's pretty good. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah, so uh, long story short, I know a lot of people were like hoping I'd, the first thing I'd pop out and say is, join the military, hence my uh, my background today. Um, but anyways. Uh, I but I, and, and I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with joining the military. Yeah. I encourage it. Um, I think if you if you apply yourself correctly, you can, you can, you know, and, and you pay attention, then all of the things that you learn in the military are absolutely transferable into the preparedness world. One being your ability to just stand around and do nothing for a really long time. That's the part they don't talk about in all of those, in all of the zombie movies and all of the post-apocalyptic movies. There's nothing to do. For a lot of time. For a yeah. lot of the time. Um, a few I, minutes I have, of panic, but then, you know. Well, that's it. it and I mean... Being in the military is like being in, being a first responder. It's long inter, long long periods of sheer boredom interrupted by moments of absolute terror. Yeah. And there's, I mean, if if you go if you join the military and you become a mechanic, then you're still a mechanic who knows how to shoot things. If you join the military, you become a medic, then you're still a medic who knows how to shoot things and navigate at night. And if you learn how to fix airplanes and you learn or you learn how to build stuff, those are all excellent transferable skills. Yeah, and you also get to know, how, and you also learn how to shoot stuff. Well, yeah, and so I mean, like, uh, other than basic training, like from what I understand, like I had a lot of uh, military neighbors when I lived in Barrie, and you know, of course, talking to Andrew and stuff, it's like you don't shoot nearly as much as you think in the military. I think as a civilian, you can probably choose when and how often you shoot and how much you shoot. So that's obviously a little different there. And but in a lot of cases, you shoot, and that's but, that's the other thing is if, if like if you're in the military, you get issued, you get a C seven, you get a C six if you're lucky, lit, but you're pretty limited into what's available for you to play with. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, there's there's a lot of transferable skills that are available other than operator. 
And I mean, so yeah, even if you got a job as an armorer and just learning how to repair guns, that could translate into your gunsmith job in the civilian world. You mentioned uh, the the uh, mechanic and medic idea, but there's also like the search and rescue technician. Sure. I mean, that that's going to teach you outdoor skills. Uh, you know, first responder skills. It's going to teach you obviously how to jump out of planes too, I guess. But it's all badass and it's all fun. The, yeah. But the big thing to take away from all of those, and it doesn't matter what trade you do whether it's in the military whether it's a civilian red seal trade or anything the biggest the big thing to take away from all of these jobs is your ability to stop and assess the problem yeah because that's, that's the biggest that's the biggest thing if you can't diagnose what's wrong you have absolutely no hope in fixing it yeah absolutely um yeah, so of course the nice thing about the military is they do pay for all the training and generally pay for all the equipment, I mean, that you're going to be using. So there's a lot to be said about that if your options are limited or whatever. So yeah, it is an option. I just thought I'd cover that right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as prepper-friendly jobs though as well, um, a lot of people rush to the idea of being a doctor, but as we know, especially in Canada, the entry to that thing is fairly limited, to say the yep. least. Well, I, I mean, preference is given to people who are coming in from out of country and all kinds of other things. Being a doctor is great, um, and I think I encourage everyone to be doctors. We need more doctors. There's no question about that, uh, yeah. especially in general practice. Um, those are far more directed towards healthcare than sick care, so I, I encourage that absolutely. But you're right; it is um, it is kind of a it's a self it's kind of a self limiting problem, um, and thanks to the uh, the almighty dollar. Um, Preference is usually given to to people who are going to be paying full uh, full tuition rather than those who are going to be uh, subsidized by tax by by tax dollars. Yeah, you Absolutely. can gain a lot of those skills, a lot of the, a lot of the same skills and abilities by going to nursing school or becoming a paramedic. The nice thing is, is that nursing school, of course, is primarily women. So generally, as a man, you actually get a bit of a leg up um, if you apply to be a nurse. Uh, it is one of those jobs that under USMCA now, I guess it's called. You can cross the border, work in the States with it, and you're going to learn some pretty good hands-on stuff, especially if you want to be an ER room nurse or a, a trauma nurse or something like that. Yep. Um, EMT, like you mentioned, uh, yeah, there's lots of stuff to be had, like high stress, how to deal with stress. Okay, so you're going to get stress inoculation, you're going to get yep. some critical patient care skills, uh, obviously access yep. to training, maybe even equipment on a discount, like if you have to buy it for your personal use or whatever. Um Everything else, there's a lot of things to be said about becoming a nurse or an EMT versus a doctor, although, like you said, doctor is preferable, right? Yep. Um, and also the the ability to gain experience. So as a doctor, um, I wouldn't say you're, you're, you're limited in where you can go, but um, it makes a lot more sense as a doctor to have kind of one practice and be in one practice, whereas if you are able to travel a little bit, there are absolutely incredible opportunities out there for somebody who's willing to travel who has a nursing or um or medic background and i mean you can be really readily making you know upwards of you know five thousand dollars a week plus your travel expenses plus a per diem to go do standby in a in a a, a less than desirable neighborhood oh so you can, I, so you can yeah, I was going to say, when I lived up north, the uh, nurses were making serious bank up there because, yep. uh, you know, isolation pay, I mean, they're, they're basically the, treated like a doctor up there because they have to deal with a lot of stuff. Yep. And, uh, you know, if it gets beyond their legal capability, then they just send them out on a medevac. But honestly, yeah, they were making some pretty good coin up there. Yeah, and then and so you're so you're making really decent money, and you're usually your your travel your your living expenses are paid while you're while you're on a tour like that. Yeah. Um, so it can be a great way to not only gain experience and open up your network of like-minded people, but also to um, 
um, also to, to practice those skills in an environment that you might not otherwise get. And then you can bring that back with a well-padded bank account and start a, start a life in one spot. Yeah. Just throwing so, that out there. Those are, those are great options. So actually, so those are the two easy ones, though. We talked about the military and the medical field. I mean, those are, <laughs> I think everybody leads towards those right off the bat, right? So sure. um, I started spitballing a couple ones that actually might not be the ones you think about, but actually might be just as helpful. Um, so obviously, besides the, the tactical stuff, we got uh, small engine tech. So whether it be marine engines, lawnmowers, anything like that, um, it's a skill that's going to make you money now. It's a yep. skill that will help you maintain your own generators and or small engines around the, the doomsday. But more importantly, uh, stuff goes sideways. People are going to require like small engine work, whether it be motorbikes or whatever. And if you have the skill set that's in your brain that can't be taken away from you, that is something that you can turn into a barterable skill, right? Absolutely. Um, and again, it comes it comes back to the same the same thing we were talking about in the in a in a military trade is the ability to take something apart, put it back together in a way that it works. Yep. Um, and that's you know what no matter no matter your trade. So as a small you know small engine repair is fantastic. It's something I don't know anything about. So if I needed that, if I needed something fixed, I would have to go to my neighbor who does know something. And I would have to give up something that I have to get that, to gain that knowledge from him or to, to, to make use of his knowledge to make my thing work again. Yeah. I mean, you're basically, uh, what did my friend put it? You're an intellectual prostitute because you're trading your, your knowledge for, t- for money. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. I like yeah. that. I'm, I'm actually going to get new business cards made up and that's, how I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to put on it because that is, that is the perfect depiction of what I do for a living. Yeah. Um, any any trade where you're building something. So whether it's a Red Seal trade or not, um, any trade where you're building anything is good. It's going to expose you to once again the the critical like the the critical thinking, but also the how stuff works. Um, Carpenter was the first one that I that came to mind for me because everybody needs shelter no matter what, and yep. so if I can't if I don't know how to look at a pile of wood and turn it if i if i know how to look at a pile of wood turn it into something that i can live in then i'm going to be better off than somebody who has to figure it out on the fly and the less time that i have to spend creating my shelter or building my shelter and making it making it habitable the more time i can spend doing other things that improve my improve my situation um we also, I think we we both we both kind of mirrored a lot in the show notes with electricians, plumbers, welders, um, from a from a preparedness perspective. Being able to fix your own stuff, super duper important. Um, from a from a, a barter barter skill perspective, um, depending on how badly the the excrement has hit the uh, the impellers, an electrician or plumber might not be as valuable a skill but unless, unless of course the plumber knows how to plumb like you know uh, pex line from irrigation systems into like you know uh, drinkable yep. water and everything e- else right exactly right and same you know same with a welder right if you can um if, if you can welding is one thing blacksmithing is something entirely different they're not necessarily disassociated but um you know, if, if you only know how I mean I know how to I, I can stick weld I can mig weld uh, definitely not a Definitely not a certified welder. Definitely not pretty welds for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's no electricity, I'm pretty well useless for for, for welding. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, I mean, any any trade any trade is good for again the critical thinking, the idea of I know how to take a thing, turn it into a, to another thing that is useful. 
Yeah. And so I had a question for you guys now. So uh, there's more than one panelist that's a firefighter around here. Uh, as far as like a, just an everyday average skill that uh, you, you'd use just to, you know, on the, on the daily, but also like as far as a uh, limited services thing, how do you think that would fit in with the preparedness thing? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I was, so I was talking about that with my better half um, today as we were getting the show notes ready. And short answer is it actually, I mean, in terms of having skills, it's excellent. I mean, I, what I've what I've learned in the fire service is how to break stuff, um, how to put water on stuff, uh, and I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm generalizing here. This is uh, I know that'll, that'll make Eric happy later when he listens to it. Um, but in in reality, understanding how to uh, how to cut a hole in a wall without having the wall come down on you, right? So if I'm looking at a cinder block wall. I need to I need to get through that wall, but I don't want the whole thing to collapse on me. How do I make that cut in such a way that's going to be as safe as possible? Get get the Kool Aid um, guy seriously. Just go. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. smash through <laughs> smash through the wall. Absolutely. Um, but just understand. I mean, one of the one of the things that I learned the most about uh, in firefighting, or one of the things that is most heavily taught, a how our water system works, how our de- how our water delivery system works. It's one thing to be able to say there's a fire hydrant. It's quite another thing to say that fire hydrant puts out, you know, 1500 liters a minute. And I know that because it's on a 12 inch main and I know where it's fed from. So understanding how our, how our water system works. uh, I mean, on our, on the wall in our station, we have, you know, we have maps of our County and the neighboring counties and all the municipalities surrounding us and where all the water's fed from. So that if something goes bad here our you know, in one spot, our water supply isn't interrupted or what the effect is on the water supply. Well, uh, so especially that, if the water supply is compromised in any way, shape or form, right? Exactly. So, and then understanding how the municipality is going to react to that compromise. So that was, that was, inter- that was interesting. Um, a lot of ropes and knots, right? There's a lot of, I mean, I was just talking about the the rescue class that I took that is all rigging and, um, you know, rigging and climbing and, all of those things, which was again, you know, really, really interesting, really, really um, knowledgeable, or really, really, um, the the guys I worked with were really knowledgeable, and so I've gained a lot of experience from them, a lot of knowledge from them. Um, yeah. So that was, you know, yes, there's a lot of things to do there. The flip side of that is, in the event of an emergency slash disaster, uh, I mean, Hughes talked about it uh, uh, out at his out at his place, right? He was, you know, he was out busy fighting a fire. And his wife and kids had five minutes to evacuate or 10 minutes yeah. to get out. Yeah, they do take um, so you away from that. So, yeah, you're not necessarily in the right place at the right time. Um, and we're seeing, I'm, I'm seeing it all over the place in California and, uh, you know, everywhere on the West Coast where all of those, um, where the, where the, all, all, the, all the wildfires out there, um, firefighters are losing their homes because they happen to be in the path. They live in that area because that's where they want to be. And then, they're out fighting a fire and their house burns down as a result because they're not there to protect it. So, um, that's, there's, there's good and bad. I mean, there's, there's excellent knowledge to be taken from there, but if you're in that role, um, you know, you just have to understand that you're probably not, you may or may not be there at your house when there's actually, when you actually need to be there. That's interesting. I never thought about that perspective as well. But uh, quick question now. So with the tr- level of training you get now, it's a little different with you because you're like a first aid instructor. But uh, as a as far as level of first aid that they give out to the the volunteers, is that an acceptable level, basic level? Kind of. It like- really it it really depends on 
um, really depends on which service you work for. Uh, my particular service, we train everyone to a um, we train everyone to a basic life support level, which mm-hmm. is essentially a combination of stop the bleed and really good CPR. Um, which is enough to get you by, but the mm-hmm. intent of that is we are the bridge between somebody got hurt and the ambulance has to come from in the city and out and they're going to be 20 minutes away. So that is, that's a little bit different from what uh, like a career fighter fighter might get in a city. A lot of them are medical first responder or higher levels, which is, you know, it, it's nowhere near as good as what a paramedic would have in terms of knowledge, but in terms of practical skills, there are only so many practical skills you can do outside of being a nurse or a doctor. So you're, you're pretty, you're pretty close there. And then frankly, books make up the difference. Yeah. Um, well, I think the built in benefit of being a firefighter right now too, is you got a built in mag, right? You got like a mutual assistance group that's, that's job related and emergency related. So it that kind absolutely. Of and, and you know, if you, no matter what movies or shows you watch, you, you see that firefighters are, you know, firefighters are one big family and that's absolutely true. Like um, I've never been, anywhere where where all the firefighters that are part of the same group of people aren't super close and they all you know drop by each other's houses regularly and they all go camping and hunting and fishing together and that's that's just how they are so you've got you've got a kind of a family built in there um so yes that isn't that is absolutely an advantage no that's that's good i mean that's actually one of my solid choices but of course again a high demand job too right so (laughs) well i I mean yeah there's definitely definitely a lot of applicants for every job out there so well and that i mean that's in i think the average in ontario for fire like for career firefighters is about a thousand to one applicants for posi- oh, for available geez. positions it's so it's 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 not it's i don't think it's quite that but it's it's somewhere in that neighborhood and um if you happen to be fortunate enough that your your grades and your your testing stands out well enough that you get an interview and you happen to nail that and you happen to get into um one of those there's about 500 firefighter position like career firefighter positions that come up every year mm-hmm. uh, approximately again give or take based on you know retirement and natural attrition and all of those things um but there are approximately 10,000 new qualified graduates every year oh wow so yeah. the pool so the pool of people applying gets bigger but the a pool of available jobs stays the same jeez yeah, so that's that's the good news about firefighting. Yeah. Uh, good and bad, I guess. Yeah, good and bad, absolutely. So I was actually inspired by uh, your your uh, for, uh, profession as well. There, so first aid instructor. Like I know it's kind of repetitive and and everything else, but as far as your personal level of uh, knowledge that you gain doing it, is it worth like doing it from a uh, preparedness perspective, or is it just kind of like a uh, well, I mean, the, the, the qualification to become a first aid instructor is that you have to take a first aid course mm-hmm. and then go through a how to teach course. Mm-hmm. Um, the advantage of that is it uh, it certainly improves your communication skills. Mm-hmm. So that from that aspect, absolutely. What I have come to learn um, from teaching first aid, and I think I've, I've been doing this, I think, I don't know, almost 15 years. Every course that I teach, I learn something new. Um, and it's just it's just because you you end up in a room with a with a wide variety of people, and you usually only see them once. But um, like everybody, everybody in the medical field, as they're going through school, has to take a has to be has to take first aid. Most of them have to take it every year in Ontario. So nursing students 
go through four years of four four or six years of school, four years of school, I think, they have to take first aid every year. Paramedics go through school for two years, they have to take first aid every year. Most people before they start their classes, they have to take a year they have to take first aid. So um, every time I every time I, I do that and then I end up with construction workers and um, rope access technicians. I, I, I had a guy in one of my classes um, in the fall like this past fall and he climbs uh, climbs wind turbines and repairs them and where they are there's no rescue team so they have so they are their own rescue team Mm -hmm. and so discussing how so you end up talking about how everybody else approaches specific things i mean just you know as a random example my i had I, i was in a class in the fall i was teaching a class in the fall and i was wearing shorts uh, or I guess it was summer. It was it was warm enough that I was wearing shorts anyways. And I don't usually wear shorts when I teach, but this particular day I was. And one of the students in my class was a kinesiology major. And the second day of the class, she, she kind of, you know, we were, we were kind of sitting and chatting at break. And she said, do your knees hurt? And I said, yeah, like, yeah sometimes. And she said, those, so there, I have uh, two rather pronounced, like a rather pronounced bump under each of my knees. Yeah. And I never knew what it was. And she says, that is called osgood Slatter disease and it's it's, speci- it's it's exceptionally characteristic and it's, it's not dangerous in any way it's it's essentially a um, a hardened a hardening of soft tissue based on you know a specific uh specific set of circumstances that involve uh, muscle tension usually in the usually in people who are young and essentially it's a result of them of people getting too tall too fast mm-hmm. um but it was just one of those weird things where I've, you know, they've always been there. I, I've never, you know, I don't remember, they didn't show up one day. They've just always been part of my life. And just because of that interaction with that person, I know a little bit more about it now. So that's one of those, it's just one of those situations where I find myself in, in rooms with people who are smarter than me. And I've, I've long been a believer that if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. So, yeah. So I find myself in, in in a room full of people who have more training. Um, they're smarter than me, and I learn I learn something from every one of them. Um, I learned I learned that we were talking about we were talking about uh, Narcan and Naloxone one time, and one of the nurses that was in my class again she's a registered nurse, but she still has to come and take a first aid class. She actually worked in a methadone clinic, and she was able to talk at great length and in great detail about the physiology behind like the, phys- the physiology and pathology behind what happens when somebody's having an overdose and the, the, the results of the Narcan. I've never administered Narcan to somebody. I'd never seen it happen before. I was able to take, take that away, incorporate it into my classes. And then it just so happened that I was in a place where I was watching somebody be administered Narcan and I knew exactly what was going to happen. And then lo and behold, exactly what she said was going to happen did. They got mad. You took away their high or what? Oh man, was he mad at us? It was, <laughs> he, he was not a happy dude. Uh, but that's but it just like that. I, you know, I take I get to take away something from every class. So for that for that aspect, I absolutely encourage it. Um, it's it's not like free training by any means because I still have to pay to take the classes. Um, but I get you know the company that I teach for gives me a really good deal on um, on higher levels of training if I want it because then I can teach that higher level of training, which works out well for them. Um, it means again that I have, you know, uh, I have access to a group of like-minded people. 
which is also fantastic for all the same reasons that we've already discussed. And it's, you know, it's a little bit, it's not a lot of money, but it's a little bit of money on the side for weekends that I would normally just be sitting around dreaming about the next gun I want to buy. So and I, I, could could dreaming, gun, right? I could be dreaming about it or I could be working towards getting it. Yeah, actually, what's kind of funny on the opposite end of the spectrum there is like, like I think I've said it on the podcast here myself, is like I got the company to pay for my, I guess, WCB. First aid is what they call it now. It used to be like industrial first aid, but it became something else here in BC. Anyway, um, so yeah, if you're at, no matter what company you're at, if you can't take the time to become a firefighter or a first aid instructor, one thing you can do is uh, most provincial health regulations and or safety regulations require that you have a certified, you know, like high level first aid tech if you have more than like 15 employees on site or whatever. So if you volunteer to be that guy, chances are they're going to pay for the course, pay your wages while you take it and give you a raise for having it. So works into preparedness, works into a better job thing, you know, it makes you more, uh, more ret- retainable, I guess, or in the case of job downturns and stuff, yep. it's like, uh, there's, there's a lot of benefits to, to stepping forward on that volunteer line. Right. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, it also means that, um, in the event that something goes wrong, chances are good that you're in a position where you're not directly involved in it. Um, <laughs> And yeah, check, I mean, obviously check your provincial regulations. I'm reasonably certain that all provinces in Ontario, and I would imagine all states in the all states in the union, um, have a regulation that says you have to have an appropriate number of first aid trained people based on the locations that you're working. And so um, here in Ontario, you have to have at least one person certified on every. On every at every work location, and then the level of certification and the level the amount of equipment that has to be available changes based on how many people are at that location. Um, but again, everybody's different, and so no matter where you are, if you're in a, if you're in a trade and you're on a construction site, then you might not need to be the first aid person. But if you're like what I did when I was when I was in a trade, I would spend some time on construction sites, and I would spend some time um, in office buildings fixing things mm-hmm. and so all of our all of our techs had to be first aid trained well that. i was i was literally the baker at the grocery store <laughs> it's just because the grocery yep. store had you know at any given time oh, i think well over 50 people in the building that were working there so yeah they needed to have a wcb person on there so I, they were like everybody else took three steps back so i was like well, yeah, i'll do it sure whatever absolutely so, and yeah no, it's you're gonna pay for it and you get a couple of days where you're not being where you're not working you're doing that instead absolutely um yeah. and you be, and you get to become part of the solution instead of part of the problem that's right which is usually a benefit so based on our episode uh, i guess a few episodes ago now when you talked about solar systems there i actually was thinking about that if uh if somebody's young and in school or river maybe try and latch yourself onto a solar company uh not just for the you know uh money for as an apprentice, but also just think of the knowledge you can gain if you want to do an off-grid system yourself down the road. Uh, I'm actually in the midst of just following around a guy while he works with my solar system because <laughs> I've tried to learn as I go. And uh, yeah, drinking from a fire hose, right? Like there's lots of stuff to learn that you didn't even think about to begin with. And uh, everything from voltage drops along your power or your supply lines, everything else, and voltage regulators and charge controllers and everything else. It's it's definitely worthwhile doing it for at least a season to see if you could maybe follow along. Maybe it's a career choice. Uh, but yeah, it's something that will help you prepare this for sure. A hundred percent. It's uh, any anytime you can gain knowledge is a good time. Yeah. Um, one other thing that we see all around here is the small organic farms. So, you know, because most industrial farms require like, you know, massive machineries, you know, million dollar combines, million dollar seed, seed uh, sprayers and everything else. Obviously, you go down to a small mom and pop operation like an organic farm and you learn actual how to farm. 
and yep. how to to deal with plants you're probably far better off than working on an industrial farm um but if you're looking at you know maintaining a food supply starting your own garden everything else maybe spending a season at an organic farm couldn't hurt absolutely and something that just kind of occurred to me while you were talking about that um go spend a year tree planting you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna live in the woods you're gonna work hard you're gonna understand what it's like to be absolutely miserable and not have it not be able to take a break from the weather and make decent money while you're doing it and appreciate how fast weather can change yeah so because yeah i like i talk about like uh yeah it's good physical exercise uh it is money but it's like yeah it's it's gonna be a learning experience on why you should lose your brain versus your body (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah um so search and rescue volunteers. So we talked a little bit, uh, oh, must have been what, four or five episodes ago with Gavin, yep. um, talking about becoming a search and rescue volunteer. Uh, there are some skill sets to be gained, as we talked about in that episode, but uh, there is actually a few, very few, uh, bosses in the system that become uh, you know, the search and rescue coordinators for the area, maybe not in Ontario, but definitely in BC here. Um, you can turn that into a career, uh, but also, again, the level of uh, education and maybe preparedness, it's, it's worth a thought. Absolutely. And I mean, anytime you can volunteer is a good time. People who, people who volunteer um, tend to be good, good people that you want, that you want to know more, that you want to know, you want to have them on your side. Um, And that's just, you know, it's true regardless of where they're volunteering. Um, It's it's really tough to volunteer with an ulterior motive. Uh, It's just not worth it for the most part. So um, anytime, yeah, any, any volunteer, I think I've got, I've got a few that that I was going to jump into, but um, while we're talking about it, like Habitat for Humanity is a great place to volunteer. You want to learn, you want to learn how to build something, go build houses. And it's really, it's, it's difficult to convince somebody to pay you to learn to build houses if you don't already know, but Habitat for Humanity will gladly, will gladly teach you the skills that you need. Um. And that's just a matter of showing up, isn't it? Pretty much. It's it's probably not anymore. There's probably a little bit more screening involved now, but yeah. um, that's it used to be that. Like we're going to go over here and build, and if you can show up and you know how to swing a hammer, then we'll teach you the rest. Um, if you know which end, which ends for for swinging and which ends for holding, then everything else is everything else is just details. Yeah. Um, so that that's a great, it's a great place to work, and the the added benefit of that is you get to do something that's that's you know lasting and you know something that you can put your something that you can you can look back on and say that you you know you made a difference in somebody else's life and um i sincerely hope that that's part of your plan is to be able to do that because it's it's uh, it's a great feeling um other places to volunteer if you're canadian go check out uh st john ambulance your local your local uh, uh used to be called the brigade i think now they call it the community services community services division or something um most search and rescue uh, teams are volunteer. There are a few paid kind of standby rescue, and there are a few professional rescue places. But I would say the the vast majority of them are volunteer. Um, there's a note in the uh, um, note in the chat about volunteering there. Uh, what does he say? Uh, volunteer search and rescue all depends on where you live. Cell phones have made some groups a solution to a problem that isn't there anymore, uh, and that's true. Um, there, and depending on depending on where you are, um, those you know you may not get a lot of you may not get a lot of uh, get a lot of action as a um, as a search and rescue tech. Um, the the couple that I was involved in um, here in southern Ontario, we didn't do a lot of searching for people. Um, we did a lot of searching for background information, um, and that was uh, so you know, but it was still 
still learned still learned how to find people and what to do when we found people well it's, necessarily a lot of times, yeah it might just be a recovery operation too at some point which negates the cell phone idea but also uh yeah around here terrain comes into play right you get around a corner and there's no more cell phone coverage and yep. you know I, I live we live near a hippie central place called coombs and the the Earl smith uh, search and rescue is super busy all the time because there's always some random hiker getting lost in the woods and it's flat and it's just tree covered and you know cell phone still doesn't work reliably enough or they can't pinpoint it so they end up needing it it's it's shocking how close they can be to town and not have a usable like like triangulation uh on the cell phone yep so, so yeah just it it, it may be it, it, it's a diminishing problem absolutely the world's just not that big anymore um but it's still worth uh, still worth being still worth being involved with, and most places that have invested time and money um, for equipment and training, they're going to find other stuff for you to do that's in the same field, so that you can stay engaged. Um, so again, if you want to be involved in something like that, then find a way to make yourself useful. Um, anytime you can, anytime you can find a find a, somebody to work with and gain some knowledge from them, it's uh, it's a good time. My notes yeah. were all about, you know, becoming a carpenter and working for contractors. Um, if you can, if you can work it even just as a labor for a general contractor, um, do that for a couple of years. You're going to learn. Um, you're going to learn so much about building things. And again, you might not become an expert home builder. You won't become an expert home builder in, you know, in a season. But um, you'll gain enough that you can. You'll gain enough knowledge that you can do this stuff to fix and you know to make your situation better. Yeah. So, I mean, just food for thought, too, is like if none of these uh, job ideas we were throwing at you, like blow your hair back, uh, you know, like they're trying to think of a job that allows like you to gather gear cheaply, like whether it be like the running joke in my house is I want to go work at Cabela's as a retirement job just for the discount. But in in reality, I think I'd enjoy it more than anything else. But yeah, I mean, it does offer an employee discount, uh, as do other places, obviously, whether it be Walmart or whatever, I'm sure. Uh, I I worked at Lowe's. They had a great employee employee plan there. Yeah, so I mean, no matter what your anticipated needs are, just maybe think about what you're going to need and try and find a job that offers you cheap access to those needs or maybe teaches you some skills that are, you know, kind of in parallel with those needs. Yep. And I mean, again, depending on, you know, depending on where your skill gaps are, um, first off, I mean, make an assessment of that, depending on where your skill gaps are, if you can get paid to fill that gap, that's better than paying to fill that gap. Yeah. And of course, it doesn't have to be your main job either. It could just be a volunteer part-time position as well. I don't think, so, I've, I don't think I've ever had just one job. I, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> since I was a kid, I've always had two or three jobs. I've always got something else on the go. Um, and I'm a, I'm a more, you know, I'm a more well-rounded person, um, which is not a fat joke, although that too, but uh, I'm a more well-rounded <laughs> person uh, because of it, because I, because I've had those experiences, right? So that's... Um, and it well, gives you something to talk about when you're sitting by, when you're sitting around the fire, if nothing else. Well, I'm thinking about having two or three jobs that you're kind of like swinging around on. Uh, if one disappears, you're not completely out of income either. You know it's, what I mean? You, we you, we talked always, about that at the beginning of the episode about not putting yeah. all your income in one basket. Yeah, multiple streams of income, you know, like multiple yeah. skill sets. Oh, it's just fantastic. So They say the average millionaire has seven streams of income. And that's, I mean, that's an entirely different podcast, but um yeah, having multiple streams gives you gives you options, gives you flexibility, and and you know as as the economy reopens slowly, I think we're going to see a lot more people having more than one job. And don't like I, I I was raised in a family where 
you go get a job and you work that job until you retire and then you have a you know you have a meager existence and then you and then you die and like my you know i was raised by some by people who had you know one job their entire life mm-hmm. and that was it and that was who they that was who they were that was what they did that was all they knew and if you took them out of that situation they were completely useless um i don't want to be that person and i'm not that person as a result so yeah no very good uh, uh, outlook on things for sure. Uh, well, I think we've blabbed over for 45 minutes. Podcast challenge time. Podcast challenge time. Your challenge this week. Figure out a new skill set that you need that will be useful in preparation and work on it. Figure out how to get Figure out how to get it. Once you've decided that, let us know. Feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. We want to know what you're doing to work towards getting that second skill set. We're going to talk. We w- we'd love to talk about it on the air. And hopefully inspire other preppers to acquire similar skills. Um, and maybe, just maybe, you guys could work together to learn those skills. So yeah. acquire a second skill set or work towards gaining a second skill set that's useful in preparedness. That is your that is your challenge for this week. Feedback right. at prepperpodcast.ca. Let us know what you did. Upcoming events, uh, nothing on the go right now. We'll talk about uh, TACOM maybe closer to the new year. Um, shout out to time. <laughs> the world is still shut down. There are no upcoming events. Stay home. Yeah. Um, shout out to our new patron, Brian, five bucks a month. That goes a long way to keeping us going. If you want to hear us blather on about the most random things, um, help us out. We really appreciate it. You can help us out by joining Patreon. You can help us out by buying a prepper podcast t-shirt. All of those great things um, make this uh, make this a lot more feasible. Oh, and uh, stand by. We've got some uh, patches on the way. So, uh, oh yeah, patches. Forgot yes. about those. It's coming soon. Anyway, uh, for myself, I got a shout out for uh, Milburn Mountain Defense. So, Canadian maker of fine safety gear, including uh, body armor, uh, plate carriers, and all sorts of other tactical goodies. Um, a, they're Canadian made in Quinell, BC. So good because there's no border hassle. Uh, B, quality items, and uh, they're all available at Ragnarok Tactical. So I uh, just want to tell you, tried and liked. So, uh, yeah, give Fantastic. a shout out for Melbourne Mountain Defense. All right. I'm actually just going to go check out their website because <laughs> I saw that in the show notes and I was and I was excited. Yeah, and actually, uh, it's it's really surprisingly, like, I, I don't want to say cheap. That's a bad term. Uh, inexpensive. Good value. Good value uh, because it, it actually is like, and they got all sorts of levels of stuff and depending on what you're like, everything from a stab proof vest if you're a bouncer to whatever. I mean, there's, there's lots of things to, to go on there depending on what your needs are. So um, shameless plug. Uh, we have an Amazon link in the show notes. that will be going on the uh, video and on the podcast notes. The whole idea is that basically you go on there, you click on the Amazon link. You don't have to buy what's there. Just search from that page and put whatever you want in your cart. And anything that you buy through that Amazon link, we get a little piece of the action from. So it's kind of just like a referral uh, fee. It costs you nothing extra for you, but it gives us a little uh, cash in return. So it really, it really helps us out because putting out putting out this content every week is not cheap. There's hosting, there's editing. Eric has to pay us grand sims of money to keep showing up and all of those things. Uh, oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, that, that is, that's literally the least, the least of the costs. Um, but it, it is, it does, it does take time and money to keep us on the air and we really appreciate the support. We yeah. don't, uh, we very specifically don't um, sell ad space for, for, for products because we want to, you know, any product that we want to give that we want to talk about, we want to do it as a, uh, in a, in a, in a nonpartisan, uh, independent fashion. 
Not that we we talk about a lot of products in general, but um, that's that's not how that's not how we want to run things. And so we need to we need to keep the keep the website running somehow else. Cool. Uh, Email iTunes reviews. I'll uh, take the first one there. So we got one from uh, Fleck and Ash. It says, hello, Eric and panel. We took on this week's podcast challenge with a fresh fresh pouch of freeze-dried potato casserole. The cooking method involved a three-quart cast iron pot and four cups of boiling water heated over a charcoal fire. Stir in the contents of the pouch minus the oxygen absorber. Good call. Good call. (laughs) And uh, pull the pot off the grill to rest for 15 minutes before serving. It was too salty per suggested serving, so we diluted with two more cups of water and had a very tasty potato soup. Combined with grilled chicken drums, it satisfied our family of four. So yours in preparedness, Fleck and Ash. That sounds tasty. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate that. And thanks for doing uh, the challenge. Yeah. Well, that's uh, And definitely for not putting the oxygen absorber in there. That's uh, um, That was excellent. Um, Brian, I imagine this is the same Brian that is our new patron. Yeah. Uh, Brian says... Thank you guys for many countless hours of good, solid information entertainment. While other prepper podcasts often shill and are off, we're often shrill and alarmist even before COVID hit. You guys have been consistently professional and level-headed this entire year. Man, I've rarely accused of being professional. But thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. <laughs> Back to the note. I subscribe to many different podcasts on a variety of subjects, but I must say that you're the only podcast to which I constantly re-listen to each episode, a few stellar episodes even more than once. And that alone speaks to your educational value and just normal guys talking about wanting to help out other normal guys. I'm also not often accused of being normal. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you for the wonderful hours of quote-unquote free content. Since the USA seems like it's about ready to burn itself down, I thought it would be... uh, be about time to throw a few U.S. dollars across the border before I retreat to the doomstead. Keep up the good work. Be safe. Keep teaching your with your characteristic mix of humor, experience, and practical wisdom. Brian, we really appreciate you. Be safe. Uh, hopefully, your doomstead is well set up to be able to listen to us. If not, um, hit us up on the uh, on the shortwave radio, and we'll be happy to uh, happy to to keep the conversation going. And maybe just once, but I might just scream out, we're all going to die once, just, you know, before the podcast is over or something. But, uh, <laughs> all right, so I got uh, one more, uh, no name left behind, but uh, here it is. Uh, hey, guys, I uh, love the podcast. It's full of very useful information from uh, a group of knowledgeable guys. I really enjoy the fact that your group is from all across Canada, giving perspective to possible situations that could arise from east to west and everything in between. I wouldn't say I've started prepping, but I've been interested in it for about a year, and your podcast has given me the final bump in the right direction to start. I have to say my favorite part of the podcast is hearing what you guys do every week to improve your preparedness or preparation. Uh, I'm a deckhand on an offshore fishing vessel uh, called Atlantic Destiny out of Riverport, Nova Scotia, and just started listening to your podcast after hearing Ian talking about it on the other CPP. I downloaded everything you had on iTunes when I left for sea last week, and I've been listening to every uh, episode uh, on episode 42 so far. Can't wait to get up to date. Keep up the good work. When I get home in two weeks, I'll be leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Do apologize. I'll blank out that ship name momentarily. Uh, Love it. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, I think that's... um that's really neat. And up, up to episode 42, that's when it starts to really get kind of consistent and good. Um, so he's, he's about to get into the really good stuff. Yeah, we were pretty pretty stilted for the first ones, but uh, we had to get our groove anyway, right? So Yeah, absolutely. I think the first, the first you know, 15 or, 20 po- 15 or 20 episodes of any podcast are pretty rough. Mm. Um, with, you know, with few exceptions, uh, you know, Jocko got it right from day one, but who knows? That's, that's <laughs> he, just he gets talking. everything right from day one. He gets everything right from day one. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and then one more. Holy cow, there's a lot this week. Yeah. Um, this was a another five star review from Lucky Shot four one eight zero two via Apple Podcast in the United States of America. And this says, love the podcast, always learn something new. Even though I've been prepping for the past five years, my only complaint is that their Canadian accents are not thick enough. Haven't heard one A or a boot, or it could just be my American arrogance. Oh, sorry, <sighs> anyways, eh? <laughs> Listen, we're really sorry about this. It's been a really hard try to not have the Canadian accents just because we knew there were going to be a bunch of you Yanks down there that were going to be listening to us. We didn't want to confuse anybody. So with that, I'll put my toque back on, get me a double, double, go down to the, go down to the, the corner, watch some shinny and everything will be fine. Come back home, sit in my Chesterfield. <laughs> well, we could break into the Newfie accent or the, the Quebec one next, but I don't want to like this. You know, I don't want to anger any of the audience. So. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, I, I apologize to all Canadians out there for yeah. perpetuating the stereotype. But we will apologize because we're Canadian. So there you go. You got yep. that. You got it. All right. Uh, I guess time to bring uh, episode 87 of the podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out. Submit a review. It helps other people find us. We do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, pick pick your favorite channel, subscribe to Canadian Prepper Podcast, click the notifications tab that will give you an alert when we're going live. If you want to find me directly, best place is uh, by email, um, alan with one L at prepperpodcast.ca. Awesome. Uh, you can reach myself directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also find me on uh, Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. We record on Monday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern, occasionally on Wednesdays if we're doing the two-week, uh, two-episode-a-week COVID format. There you can find us by discovering, discussing why government waste in society makes me rethink my career choice. And if you are so inclined, please check out Rapid Survival at www.rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can find Eric there on the live chat. I mean, if he's still there and actually cares uh while buying some prepper gear you can also get eric directly at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca so that's it for tonight thanks for joining us until next time be prepared stay safe and keep learning